Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. It's so good to see you. And I love being here each year. And I just want to encourage you to do what Rick said. Make sure that you come back the next two weeks because you're amazing. Minister Rick actually is going to share his heart for the vision of this church, kind of recasting a new and very aggressive vision for the hills. And I hope that you're going to be able to be there. Don't miss that. I love Rick. As he said, he, he and I have been great friends for quite some time. He's been a great mentor to me. You know, Rick is much older than me. Just, just always want to mention that. I want you to forget that. And, but he has been a great mentor to me and a great friend. And I love the opportunity. You're kind of, uh, you're stuck with me today. Uh, he is at Compass, as he said, preaching to my church. And I know they're going to love having him there. So let's get started today. You ever notice that some celebrities are so famous, they're only known by one name? In the music world, you hear the word Adele or Beyonce or to go old school, Elvis. Only one name is needed. Everyone knows who you're talking about. Or go to the sports world and say Michael or LeBron or Tiger. Only one name needed. Move over to world leaders, good and bad. We hear the, the name Gandhi or Hitler. We know what's going on in the arts theater world. Shakespeare or Da Vinci or Picasso. Only one name is ever needed. When you speak of culinary ex excellence in the cheeseburger world, only one name is needed. Whataburger, amen? That's right. Today we come upon a one-name superstar in the Bible, David. What a tribute God gives to him in 1 Samuel 13 when David is called a man after God's heart. Now in order to figure out why God calls David a man after his own heart, let's get back to the beginning of this fascinating story. Israel was floundering. They wanted a king. God gave them Saul. He was tall and strong and handsome, but he disobeyed God. So God rejected him. Saul was not doing a very good job at being king. And instead of his life going up and to the right, it's beginning to tank. So God will select a new king. And God tells Samuel this time, they're going to go about the selection process a little differently. He says, Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wouldn't that be something if we started choosing world leaders based on their heart? Amen? Amen. So God sends Samuel to anoint the king. And Samuel heads to the farm just outside of Bethlehem, a farm owned by a guy named Jesse. Now Jesse is excited because he's been told that one of his boys is going to be anointed and selected as the new king. That's a good day for a dad. He sends out all his sons, big strapping lads, and one by one, they're paraded in front of Samuel. And with each one, God whispers to Samuel and says, not him, not him, not him. Seven sons, seven rejections. So he says to Samuel, are, are these all the sons you have? There is, they're still the youngest, says Jesse, uh, but he's tending the sheep. He doesn't even mention David's name. Now, David is probably about a freshman in high school at this time. So like 14 or 15 years old, and he's working as a shepherd on the family farm. And a shepherd was not a good job. It's like the lowest of low jobs. I kind of liken it to my first job in college. I was the mashed potato maker at Grandy's. And uh, I cleaned toilets, and I wiped the chicken blood off the freezer, and I made mashed potatoes. Wasn't the greatest combination, I'm not going to lie. 
But uh, it wasn't a glamorous job, and neither was being a shepherd. And the job description of a shepherd was basically watch sheep. And David would pass time, and he would sing songs and write music, and he became quite proficient with the slingshot, apparently. Probably took in a little target practice out there in the field. So he's tending sheep and slinging rocks and singing songs, and all this is going to bode well for him later. So Jesse sends for David, and the Bible says he was glowing with health, had a fine appearance, had handsome features. I'm thinking David was kind of a, like a Miles Teller or a Harry Styles here, right? I mean, that's who he is. He was a looker, and the girls probably loved him. And it certainly appeared that the Lord approved him because the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Samuel, this is going to be the king. And all of his brothers are shocked because he's the runt of the litter. But there's a new power in David's life, the power of God, the anointing of the Almighty. And make no mistake, David is the most unique of all the Israelite kings. If you study the Bible, he becomes the greatest king of Israel. I want to make that clear. Of all the kings of Israel, David stands alone. He's a one-name superstar. And David was one who found his strength in the power of God. And I want to speak to that today because I believe that more than any other source, David found his power in his identity. It's an absurd submission if you think about it, a, a small shepherd boy finding the power of God. But the power of God was channeled into David's life in the least likely moment. David, the teenage shepherd boy, virtually bullies a Philistine warrior onto the battlefield. You find that story in 1 Samuel 17. Now, I know that most of you, most of you in the room and maybe watching online, maybe you've all heard this story before. I want you to pretend like you've never heard it before. I, I like to, in the Bible, sometimes I like to listen to a story like I'm listening to it for the very first time. So do that today. It begins with a formidable opponent, Goliath. He's referred to as the champion of the Philistines. He does what was customary in warfare, which was, I'll challenge you to send out your champion and we'll settle this one-on-one. -on -one. And he was intimidating. I mean, this guy would have been a first-round draft pick in the NBA. He would have made an amazing tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. He was nine feet tall, had a 200-pound coat of armor. The Bible says on his legs were bronze greaves. I don't even know what those are, but that's intimidating. And he is this massive man of humanity. Now, the obvious guy to take on Goliath was Saul. He stood head and shoulders above all of the Israelites, but the king wasn't having it. And he offers a compensation package for anyone that had the courage to face Goliath. He said, I'll give you a boatload of cash. I'll give you tax-exempt status. I'll even toss in my daughter's hand in marriage. Saul wasn't up for father of the year, apparently, right? But day after day, the whole Israelite army is hiding in their tents. And this amazing giant of a man, Goliath, shows up each day and says, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And nobody would take the challenge. And it got me thinking, why didn't these warriors, these soldiers, respond to the enemy's challenge? Why didn't they take a stand for the God who had been so faithful to them? Why didn't they trust God? Well, I would submit that they had what Paul David Tripp refers to as identity amnesia. They'd forgotten who they were and whose they were. They looked at the size of the Philistine army and this massive warrior, and they concluded that victory was impossible. They were identity amnesiacs. Maybe you're here today and you're an identity amnesiac. 
Maybe you have forgotten all of the good that God has done in your life. I don't think you're alone. There's a lot of identity amnesia happening in our world and in our churches and in the life of Christ followers right now. And I'll speak to that in a moment. Because if we want to be victorious in this life, we need to have, find power in our identity. We need to have the identity of Jesus. We'll get to that. So this boy David shows up. He simply come to bring lunch to his brothers. David is literally the Uber Eats driver of the day. That's all he's doing. He had no armor, no helmet. Dude didn't even have greaves on his legs, whatever that is. My point is David's not physically ready for battle with Goliath. And on the surface, this sounds like a, a really bad idea. I mean, you probably should be ready for such an encounter. I love the story of the guy. He arrives at the pearly gates of heaven and he finds St. Peter. And St. Peter says, hey, um, I can't really find anything in your record that you did anything particularly good or bad. We're, you're kind of a mystery up here. Can you tell us of a time where you did something impressive, anything, your whole life? And the guy says, well, there was this one time I saw some biker guys and they were terrorizing this young woman and I just had compassion on her. So I stopped my car and I got in the trunk of my car and I got this huge tire iron and I walked up to their leader, this huge, hairy, ugly guy, and he had a nose ring and I reached up and I ripped that nose ring out of his nose and I told that dude, listen, you leave this girl alone. And I looked at all those biker dudes and I said, listen, anybody who messes with this girl is going to have to go through me. You'll have to answer to me. And Peter's writing this down. He's like, man, this is great stuff. This is really awesome. Like, when did this happen? And the guy says, oh, about four minutes ago. <laughs> All right. Just... I thought it was funny. Anyway, you got to be ready for the Goliaths of the world. So David shows up and he says to Saul, don't worry about this Philistine loser. I got this. I'll fight him. I'm not afraid. The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul was thinking what you and I would be thinking. A boy who hasn't completed adolescence is going to engage in one-on-one -on -one combat with a giant warrior. That's not going to end well. I mean, the notion was ridiculous. It was never supposed to happen. This is like Rick actually challenging the rock Dwayne Johnson to a fight. It's not going to end well, right? It's like David Meyer challenging me to arm wrestling. It's not going to end well. Probably for me, right? But David was resolute. He sheds the heavy armor that Saul gives him because that's just not his style. And he took his staff in his hand. And he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now Goliath begins to curse. And he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come here. And he says, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. This is when I would have run home to mother, by the way, just so you know. But David was finally ready for Goliath. Verse 45 captures the essence. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down. I'll cut off your head this very day. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear, that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And everyone on the battlefield sees the giant Goliath and the opposition, but David sees something completely different. David gets strength, he gets courage, he loses fear. He did not have identity amnesia. He knew who he was and whose he was. I wanna ask that question of you. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? 
we're in the midst of an identity crisis. And if we aren't careful, it'll keep us from further kingdom victories. I love the New Living Translation in Ephesians 1, verse 13, when Paul says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. There's a sense of awe in that statement, that he identified you as his, that you belong to Jesus, that that's your identity, that you're bought and that you're paid for, that you're a treasured child of the most high God. And if you're God's child, it's no more you against the world than it was David by himself against the great warrior Goliath. And we have to get over this identity crisis, friends, and remember whose we are. I believe the largest epidemic in Christianity today is identity amnesia. We forget that we are enlisted in battle under the victorious Christ, the Messiah, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our friend. And we've already run the battle. We've already taken down our Goliath. So I want to spend the remainder of our time, just a few moments. How do we maintain a strong identity in Jesus? How do we do that? How does it impact us going forward? Because David knowing his identity, knowing his worth, understanding who he was and whose he was, he found a strength that he didn't know that he had. How do we do that? Well, I think you have to trust the source of your power. You have to trust the source. That Ephesians 1, if you go down a little further, Paul says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us, listen to this friend, who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. There's so much power in that. There's so much depth in that. There's so much authority in that. And you and I have to carry that in our hearts. I hesitate to say this story, but um, I have my wife's permission. So I'm going to tell you the story. My wife has had a rough year driving in the city of Colleyville. I don't know if any of you live over in Colleyville or not, but they're pretty serious about uh, speeding tickets. My wife got a 30, a ticket for going 36 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, which that's rough, right? I mean, she, she was breaking the law and all that. And then like two weeks later, she got one for going 37 in a 30. Now, during this time, uh, I had had this kind of record of, I, I, and you guys are you're going to think my wife and I are terrible. We really aren't. We just don't like to drive 30 miles an hour. Anybody else there with me? <laughs> I mean, if you're just being real honest, like, right? I mean, we fractured a couple laws in our life, right? Amen. And uh, during this time, I had received a couple, I had been pulled over a couple times by cops as well, by policemen. And we have some amazing policemen in our area. And uh, I know most of them. They just, you know, because, you know, our church there in Colleyville. And so um, the last couple of times I got pulled over, uh, they've just given me warnings, you know, and just say, hey, pastor, good to see you. You know, slow down a little bit. You know, one of them was like, hey, great Easter sermon, you know, and she's with me and she's like, yeah, whatever, you know. And so um, she was told that she needed to have a pretty clean record for six months. And she did, man, she was so careful and she's driving 28, you know, in the 30 and all that. And I'm not kidding you. You're going to think I'm fibbing later, but I'm just telling you, as surely as the Lord lives, 
the day before the six months was up, we're driving down LD Lockett Road and she comes to a stop at a stop sign, but she doesn't come to a complete stop. And there's a cop and he pulls her over and he said, hey, you know, you didn't come, you came to a rolling stop. And she goes, no, I, th I think I stopped. And, and I was just like, yeah, you really didn't stop. But anyway, uh, which by the way, was not helpful at all, right? And so she had to appear before a judge and the judge says to her, Mr. Sherman, uh, I just want you to know that everything's going to be okay. You just can't get a ticket anymore in the city of Colleyville for quite some time. And she just said, just remember that you can get a ticket outside our city limits. And she said, just don't get one in Colleyville. Our jurisdiction, it starts and it stops at the city limits. Now, I just think this, I just think this story is hilarious. Now, my wife doesn't think it's that funny, but I just think it's funny. But I started thinking about that. And it made me think about the depth of authority that Jesus has. No part of this universe exceeds the jurisdiction of the Lord Jesus Christ. His authority reaches across every line, every cultural line, every organizational line, every social, racial, ethnic, political, geographical, linguistic, financial, educational, and spiritual line. No one and no territory is beyond his reach. His authority extends beyond the ends of the earth. There are no limits to his authority and to his power. That's what you and I represent. And if there's anything that I can maybe encourage you with today, take that power with you, Christ follower. Take it with you. I sometimes lament that most Christians don't understand the power that they represent. And I, as I said, it's, it, it's been kind of hard in the church the past couple of years. Can we just admit that? It's been difficult. It's not been easy. Things have changed. Life has changed since the pandemic. Uh, when it comes to communion at Compass, we hand these guys out. And I noticed you guys do too, right? And these guys have come in real handy the last couple of years. And I don't know what we would have done without them. Kind of like the one-stop communion shop, bread on the top, juice on the bottom. Here's the problem. That's not bread. Have you noticed? Can we just, can we just be honest about that? That's not bread. That's styrofoam. You know that, right? <laughs> and, and we've weathered the storm through the pandemic, but we have a problem, right? Because every Christ follower in America has like 150 little undigested styrofoam <laughs> spheres in their stomach right now. We don't know anything about these things. We know, that we know way more about the vaccine than we know about these things, right? <laughs> this is a problem. Would you agree? So we have to work on this. It's been crazy, hasn't it? Seriously, though. This has been one of the most unusual seasons that I can remember. It's been hard to remember what church used to be like. And it's been easy to forget how good that God has been to us through it all. But we have to remember. We know the source. We know his origin. We are his people. We belong to him. There was an engineer about a century ago from General Electric, his name was Charles Steinmetz. He was a genius. He knew every detail of every part of every machine that they operated in those days. And when he retired, sometimes they were just clueless. They were at a loss about what to do when things broke down. They had a malfunction one time and nobody could figure out the problem. So they called him in as a consultant. He looked at the machine for about five minutes and then he took a, a chalk and he marked an X on the defective part. He took a piece of chalk and marked an X on the defective part. And uh, he said, you need to replace this part. And then he went home. Five days later, General Electric received an invoice from Charles Steinmetz for $10,000.
That was a lot of work back in, for, for five minutes of work. A lot of money for five minutes of work back in those days. So they asked him to itemize the invoice. And a few days later, he sent them back a bill with two items, making a chalk mark, $1, knowing where to put it, 9999 <laughs> Friends, I want to remind you something. As Christ followers, we have the power. We know the source. We know where to put our trust. We know how to fix it. We know where to put the X. Peter says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation. God's, say it with me, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We serve a huge God. He's massive. His authority is vast. His power is unlimited. His jurisdiction is wide. How will you respond to that power that's available to you? The identity that Christ has for you. Will you have a spirit of fear? Or will you have an unyielding sort of faith? Will you remember the source? Remembering that you don't have to be afraid. Remembering who you are and whose you are. I pray that you can remember your identity as David did and draw strength from it. First Samuel 17 verse 49 finishes the story. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the fore. Head and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with the sling and a stone. Because when we remember who we are and whose we are, nothing is impossible. That instead of having a defeatist mindset, living with identity amnesia, we claim the power and we focus on the positives and we cheer every victory. Because when you have your identity in Jesus, you should have within you the spirit of encouragement in your life. I'm a grandfather. I have three grandbabies all under the age of three. The oldest is Henry. And a year ago, almost to the date, right after Labor Day, he went to preschool. And he is, was the youngest in his class. And he was a little nervous. And around lunchtime each day, the teacher noticed that Henry wouldn't eat anything. He was just very nervous about eating around people. She was at a loss. So she sat down with some of the older boys that were almost a year older than him. And she encouraged them that if Henry ever takes a bite of food, please encourage him. I want you to see what happens. He's the far one on the right, the little one on the right. How many of you think those boys are amazing? I mean, it's incredible. Those two-year-old boys, they understood their assignment. They brought the encouragement. They knew their identity. What if our churches were like that? Someone brings a friend and we say, you did it. Way to go. You did it. Someone has the courage to get baptized. And we shout from the rooftops, you did it. You have the courage. Way to go. Someone's serving, someone's loving, someone's giving, someone's praying. We say, way to go. We have to remember who we are and whose we are. We use a term in the church world these days. It's, it's a good term. We've been saved. It's, good, it's a good term. We've been rescued. We've been saved. It's good. Certainly biblical. You know what term I actually like even better? He's saving me today. He's saving me today. He's saving me tomorrow. Would you remember that as you remember your identity? He's still saving you. He's still loving you. He's still caring you. He's still holding up your arm. He's still moving in you. He's still working in you. He's still watching over you. 
still adoring you, still imploring you, still gifting you, still lifting you. He's working in your family. He's still working in your church. He's still devoted to you. He's still protecting you. He's still providing for you. He's still guarding you. He brings new mercies on you. He still weeps over you. He's still chasing after you. He's still cheering for you. He still favors you. He's still fighting for you. He's still killing the Goliaths in your life one day at a time. May we never forget we live to honor a one-named superstar named Jesus because he works his power through people. And we're in a battle. But the battle is the Lord's. And because of that, we will be victorious. Because like David, we must never forget who we are and whose we are because we are his. Can I pray over you? Let's pray. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine, to him be the power and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Just like we do every week, we're gonna sing a song right now and it's an invitation. It's an invite to be one of his, to be a part of the kingdom. And I wanna encourage you today. I wanna encourage you to have that identity of Jesus. In order to do that, we just need to accept him as our savior and our Lord. So let's stand and we're gonna sing this song today.